Christ. If you uh, have a Bible with you this, this morning, be opening it to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we're going to be there in just a, just a moment. What a wonderful weekend it, it's been. We, we had all kinds of things going. We had a ladies' brunch here yesterday. We had some, some men in the Dallas area at a men's conference. We had some other men in Austin at a leadership conference. And just uh, lots of stuff going on. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And uh, our, our church is always up to a lot of things. And if you're not a part of that, then I would encourage you to get plugged in in some way. Look at the announcements. Look at opportunities to to fellowship and to serve, or uh, if you want to talk to myself or one of the elders or, or deacons, you can find a way to get plugged in. Uh, something else that's coming up this next month, which just begins in a couple days, February, uh, we're going to have a seminar with John Dobbs, Following Jesus Through Life Storms. If you go in the back in our foyer, you'll notice that we have some very nice cards that have all the information about that seminar. Uh, pick up two or three of those and give them to a neighbor, give them to a friend, uh, maybe give them to somebody who's been having a hard time lately, and, and they would benefit from that seminar, Following Jesus Through Life Storms. John chapter 8, we're actually going to begin in, in 7 and verse 53, and then go through eight eleven. It says, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and, and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and, and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. It's amazing how, how words that were said 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem have become well-known and established in our modern American culture. And if you think about it, the, these words were first said probably in Aramaic. And now we know them and we repeat them in English. And our Christian roots certainly have something to, to do with the popularity of this sentence. But these are words that have been embraced by more than, than Christians. Their, their influence has spread to the point that, that people who have no association with the Christian faith know what it means to cast the first stone. Everyone loves this remarkable story of forgiveness. But we must resist the temptation to, to move too quickly through the text in order to get to our favorite part, our favorite phrase. 
We know Jesus' words and we long to hear them, but there's much more to this story than this one line that we all know. John 8, verses 1 through 11, is not only a powerful account of forgiveness, it's also a story about how we are to treat one another. God forgives, but he also wants us to act in just and right ways. And so the text begins with Jesus teaching at the temple. And and he has drawn a crowd, as he usually does. Uh, People have gathered, they're, they're interested in what he has to say. And while many are listening to the teachings of Jesus, you have this group, these scribes and Pharisees, who are plotting. And they want to entrap Jesus, and so they come up with this plan. And all they need for this plan to work is a woman who has committed adultery. Now, this whole passage here raises multiple questions that are never answered, uh, but, but we, the readers of the text, are, are to recognize these questions, and we need to wrestle with them. And, and the first question that sort of comes up is, how did the scribes and the Pharisees find this woman? You know, we, we could maybe ask, how did they know where to look? It, it would be quite the coincidence if they just stumbled upon her at such an opportune moment. Um, but, but that doesn't seem to be the case with the text. And common sense would lead us to believe that they had some type of knowledge of this woman before Jesus even begins to teach. And if that's the case, then their, their motives are, are, are not quite pure. They're not really interested in the law. They have some other objectives. And again, the text tells us this is, this is certainly true. And so was their relationship with sin greater than they let on? Now, knowing the whole story, we can answer that with a resounding yes. These men were not innocent men. And they had their sins. But how are they viewing Scripture? How are they viewing this woman? Well, they viewed this woman as being a worse sinner than they were. Their sins were of little or no concern, but this woman's sins, uh, that was of great concern. And, And this all ties in with how they were reading Scripture. They viewed Scripture as something that describes the sins of others. And this is what they were looking for when they opened their Bibles. What does Scripture have to say about my neighbors? What does Scripture have to say about my enemies? That's what I want to find. And what they were not asking themselves is, what does Scripture have to say about me? That's a a much more personal question. It's a question that we sometimes want to avoid because if we face that question, then it might mean that we have to change something we're doing and we're going to have to deal with our own sin. And this is still a great temptation today. Again, as we suggested a couple weeks ago, you know, humanity has not changed. We're still the same. And if the Bible 
is only about the, the sins of others, then we can feel pretty good about ourselves. We can focus on how bad other people are and, and never deal with what's going on in our own lives. Uh, th- this happens in religious circles. We, we can read the Bible in a way where, you know, it only applies to our Baptist neighbors or it only applies to our Catholic neighbors. And we can convince ourselves that, that we are all right and they are all wrong. And we can drag our religious neighbors in front of Jesus and ask, what are you going to do about this sinner, Jesus? And I understand that there are wrongs that need to be righted in the religious world. But what do you think that Jesus would say to us when we do something like that? We see it in politics. We can read the Bible as only applying to that party that I don't like. And we quickly point out the, the, the sins of all those other people and we ignore our own. And we can convince ourselves that we're really good people and all these other people, they're just evil. And we drag them in front of Jesus and we ask, what about their sin? And we feel pretty good when we do this. But again, what would Jesus say to us? And we can do it with our neighbors and we can do it with you know, groups of people that we don't like. And there's always this temptation to, to, to open our Bibles and, and to see everybody else's sin and to miss our own. This account in the Gospel of John teaches us to read Scripture in a different way. That we're not to read our Bibles and think about how everyone else is wrong. We're to open our Bibles and we're to, to let God speak to us. And we're to hear God's voice. And, and there are going to be times when God will correct us. And he will point out our faults. But his correction is always for our good. It's always for our benefit. And when we read the Bible this way, we're not only going to hear God's correction, but we're also going to hear his love and his encouragement. And, and God loves us. And, and everything that he says to us, even those things that may you know, hurt a little or make us a little uncomfortable, those are rooted in his love for us. The second question we, we should ask ourselves is, you know, where's the man in this story? If you look carefully at the text, it says that this woman was caught in the act. Don't miss those words. It was in the act. And so it means that she was not alone. A man was present with her, but he's nowhere to be found. The scribes and Pharisees, they don't, they don't bring him to Jesus. And, and again, this should tell us something about what's happening here. What does the law say? There, there's a reference to the law here. and You can go back and, and look at the law. You can look in Leviticus. You can look in Deuteronomy. Uh, Leviticus, it says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So, so if they're following the law, it should have been the man and the woman. But the scribes and Pharisees were not interested in the law. 
They're not even really interested in this woman. What, what she is is she becomes an object. She becomes this, this tool that they are using just to entrap Jesus. Their, their motive is to get Jesus. And so they use this woman. They, they, they use her sin. They, they use the law in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Sin does not matter. Sin is not an issue here. The only thing that matters is defeating Jesus. And when we begin to to see through this sort of us versus them lens, you know, it's it's the good guys versus the bad guys, us versus them. What's going to happen is we're we're going to begin to use people and situations to our advantage. When we pit ourselves against another person or another group of people, our goal becomes winning. That's the goal. How can I win? And winning becomes more important than doing what is right. Winning becomes more important than truth. And when we have an enemy, and we don't follow Jesus' command to love our enemies then all we're going to want to do is defeat this person, defeat this group. And we see this playing out in John chapter 8. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were not really uh, concerned about this woman at all. They're really not concerned about the man. They don't even bring him. They're not concerned about the sin. And they're not concerned about the law. They don't follow the law. They have one objective. And they're using this woman to achieve it. And the woman's not the only thing they're using. They're using her sin and they're using the Bible as well. And again, this is something that plays out all the time in our world. People will point out a sin. And they'll talk about that sin. And they'll make a big deal about that sin. But they really don't care about the sin at all. They really don't care about the person committing the sin. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But what they care about is winning. They care about defeating the other side. And if we truly care about another person, then we're not going to use their sin against them. If we truly care about people, then what we're going to do is we're going to seek their redemption. We don't want them to to crumple under the weight of their sin. What what we want, what we desire is for them to be restored. We want them to find forgiveness. We want them to turn their life around. But this is not what the scribes and Pharisees were seeking. They were seeking to destroy a life in order to win an argument. That's how far they were willing to go. We will destroy a life. We will put a person to death if we can win an argument. So we need to be careful how we, how we speak of other people's sins. And it doesn't matter if they're you know, people we know or people we don't know. But we don't want to, to be a people who use the sins of others for ulterior motives. We, we don't want to, 
to, to use the sins of others for our own purposes. Sin is serious business. And, and if we're going to speak about it, then we need to speak about it in the same way that Jesus speaks about it. And when you look at Jesus and how he talks about sin, he does talk about sin, but he does so caring for people. And he's merciful and he's kind. And he's always seeking the the best for the other person. And so we need to ask ourselves, you know, do, do my words do this? How am I talking about other people? How am I talking about their sins? Does my heart desire this? Do I want to see everyone saved? That's God's desire. God wants everybody to be saved. Do I have that same desire? Am I seeking what Jesus seeks? God does not want a people who use and manipulate His Word. God wants a people who who listen to the Bible and then are transformed by His Word. God wants a people who who live and act like Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? Well, well, Jesus acknowledges here that a sin has been committed. He does not ignore the sin. He he does not minimize or excuse the sin. He has not tried to explain it away. These are kind of things that we do as humans, even, even though they don't benefit us in any way. It doesn't benefit us to kind of ignore sin or to explain it away. Jesus recognizes what is wrong here. We are a broken people. We mess up. We fall short. We miss the mark. And ignoring this or pretending like it's not the case, it doesn't help. We need to acknowledge the problem before we're able to find a solution. And and Jesus does this. but, But the thing here is Jesus is not unfair. Jesus is just. And when we humans talk about sin, we can often be unfair or unjust. And that's what's going on here. The the scribes and the Pharisees point out the woman's sin. They're they're more than happy to talk about her sin, but they're not willing to talk about their own. And what does Jesus do in the situation? He acknowledges all sin. The scribes and the Pharisees pick up stones because they're not judging justly. But after Jesus speaks, they drop their stones and they walk away. The solution to sin is not to ignore it or to explain it away. It is to address it. It's to confess that, that we're all sinners. It's, it's to pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus does not dispute what the law says. He recognizes that the This woman has violated the law. What he does point out is that the the scribes and Pharisees, they're in no position to condemn this woman. They have their own sins. And there's only one person who is in a position to condemn this woman, and it's Jesus. And Jesus refuses to do so. Instead, he tells her to go and sin no more. 
Jesus acknowledges sin, but he also shows mercy. He offers forgiveness. He offers hope and new life. The the scribes and Pharisees, they view this woman's sin as the end. This is the end. This is all there is. She needs to be put to death. She does not need to live another day. Jesus sees this woman's sin as the beginning of something new. She can be forgiven and choose to live differently. She can turn her life around. And those are two very different ways of seeing. And we need to make sure that we're seeing as Jesus sees. And there are many lessons to be learned from this story. You know, we're we're not to act like the scribes and the Pharisees. We're to do our best to act like Jesus. However, we must not forget about the woman here. On our bad days, we may act like the scribes and Pharisees. On our good days, hopefully, we, we look and act like Jesus, and hopefully we have more good days than bad days. But there are probably more than a few days where we identify with the woman here in this story. There are days when we feel guilt and shame because we know what we've done. There are days when we feel overwhelmed by our mistakes and we just want to hang our head and we don't want to to look up, we don't want to look anyone in the eye. And on those days, we need to remember John chapter 8. On those days, we need to, to hear the words of Jesus, neither do I condemn you. On those days, we need to know it who it is that we serve. We, we serve a God who, who knows all of our sins. We can't hide anything from God. But as long as we belong to God, He does not condemn us. He forgives. He welcomes us with, with open arms and He encourages us as we, as we move forward and we try to make something of our life. And not only are are we like this woman at times, but often many of the people that that we meet are exactly where this woman was at. There are people all around us who are burdened by guilt and shame. There are people who are carrying a a great weight around and they're they're just looking for, for some type of relief. And we pass by people like this every day. We interact with them at our jobs. We encounter them as we go about town. And and all they're used to receiving is condemnation. And they're beaten down. Because that's what the world offers. But they're looking for something different. And they may not even know what it is they're looking for. But they know it's out there somewhere. They know they haven't found it yet. Well, we know what they're looking for because we have found it. They're looking for Jesus. 
They're, they're looking for someone to say to them, neither do I condemn you. And we might be the only connection to Jesus that they have. And so they desperately need to see Jesus in us. And they need to hear a kind word and they need to receive mercy. And they need to know that they can be forgiven. And we can do that for them, but we first need to know it ourselves. We've heard the story before. Most of us probably know it well. Now, all we have to do is believe it. And not just the story itself. We need to believe that Jesus treats us just like this woman. That he sees us. That he sees our sin. And that he says to each of us, neither do I condemn you. And once we embrace this, once we believe this good news, we will be ready and willing to share it with everyone we meet. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you are a good God, that you are holy, that you are just, but that you're also a forgiving God. That you see our sin, that you know what we've done. And even though that you know all our secrets, you forgive us, Father. You love us no matter what. I pray that everyone here this morning would know this, would understand it, and would be changed because of your love and forgiveness. And Father, may this great love not only change our lives, but may it change the people around us. May we take this into the world. May we recognize those, those people who are beaten down, those people who are carrying a great weight. And may we be Jesus to them. May we offer kindness and mercy and grace. And may we tell them about your great love and forgiveness. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. If you're here this morning and we can help you in any way, if you've heard the gospel, you've heard the good news, you need to respond to that invitation. If we can pray with you. Maybe you don't want to, to walk forward in uh, this next song, but, but you have something on your heart and you want to visit with myself or one of the elders after worship is done, then, then find one of us, talk to us. If we can help you in any way at all, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.